Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, the long night is over. It's game week. How are you doing? It's game week, baby. I'm I'm fired up, Cade. I, yeah, I know it's Central Arkansas. I know it's an FCS team, not a marquee opponent, but it's still football. It's back. It's in Stillwater. So I'm fired up. I'm having a good time. How about you? Yeah, I I am too. It uh, it's into the 60s in the morning, and you walk out, and you got a little bit of that crisp fall air coming, and it's 95 in the afternoon, but. Nonetheless, it starts to feel like football outside, and that's all I need. Whether it's Central Arkansas or OU on the schedule, it doesn't really matter to me. As long as it's football, uh, I'm happy. So, yeah, I can't believe it's uh, already here. And, uh, I mean, frankly, like this is probably the most excited I could be about a game against Central Arkansas. Yeah, and the fans seem to be excited as well. Like not just us fans, but all the fans. Another sellout recorded for central Arkansas. We've got the South Alabama one already. So I think everybody's fired up. Everybody's ready to see what this team can do. Kind of a down year last year, coming off a really good season, got a bunch of new faces in the locker room. I think it's going to be really interesting. And I think the fan base agrees. It's going to be a really interesting season and a season. And it could be an exciting one as well. Yeah. I I think there's no doubt. I mean, again, we talked about this with Adam last week, our friend, Adam Lunt. The variance between predictions of under six wins or over 10, they're out there. I mean, our, our friend Josh Pate at 24-7 just picked Oklahoma State to be in the Big 12 title game. And then you've got other people uh, nationally saying, yeah, Oklahoma State's going Hold under six program. and a half. Yeah, it's like yeah. nobody knows what's coming. I think you and I feel good, but the reality is we don't have a crystal ball and we've done our best to uh, predict it, but who really knows? I think this is one of the most unpredictable years in Mike Gundy's tenure at Oklahoma State. Yeah, and I know we've talked about like the national perspective, but it was just funny, you know, being back home in Baton Rouge last weekend with a bunch of my buddies. We get together once a year for fantasy football stuff, and they're all LSU grads, but they pay attention to Oklahoma State just, you know, being friends with me, and they're like, we have no idea who's even on your team this year with all the ins and outs of the transfer portal and everything. So that, that was just kind of funny because it went along with what me, you, and Adam talked about and you and I had talked about on several episodes before. Yeah, 100%. Well, I'm excited to get into Central Arkansas and everything else that comes with the opening weekend of college football. But before we do that, I think it's a great time to say welcome to a new sponsor of the Feels Like 45 podcast, Charlie Hustle Clothing, who I'm a fan of. I actually own several Charlie Hustle clothing items, the classic Heart KC shirt. That's kind of what they're iconic for. But I mean, they're right down the road from UMKC where I went to school. So I'm a big fan of them. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. 
Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best dressed fan this season. So be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. With over 30 schools to choose from, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. And you can shop with them at charliehustle.com. When you shop with Charlie Hustle, be sure to use our promo code 101215, which is good for 15% off all non-sale items. Again, a big thank you to Charlie Hustle for their support of the Feels Like 45 podcast. Dustin, excited to kick things back over to you and really get into this preview of not just Central Arkansas, some housekeeping notes as well. I mean, there's a lot to get to, so excited to do that. Yeah, just kind of a bunch of random notes like we like to do at the beginning of the podcast. Gundy met with the media in his weekly media availability last Thursday, even though the game is this week. He's started to do that the past few seasons, meet the Thursday before. So there there wasn't immediate availability this past Monday. It was last Thursday. He did mention that Alan Bowman will most likely be meeting with the media soon, even though he's a first-year player since he's a veteran. I think they're going to let him do that. So that's pretty cool. There was also a bunch of player availability. Josiah Johnson, Elijah Collins, Anthony Goodlow, Justin Wright. All those are up on OSU Max if you want to check those out. Not a ton of, I, I think, big-time takeaways. I did... Notice that Josiah Johnson mentioned the fullback and the tight end are kind of interchangeable still. So the fullback will sometimes be in line. The tight end will be at H back. So as much as we want to say the cowboy back position, Cade is gone away. It sounds like it's still kind of an interchangeable position. I'm sure, you know, you probably won't have Braden Cassidy split out very often compared to Josiah Johnson being split out wide in the slot. But I thought that was kind of an interesting comment. What were your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's kind of what we talked about, right? Like, we also don't know what this is going to look like, and it seems like even the guys are curious to see what it looks like in a game situation. I'm sure that they've been trying their best to prepare in practice, but uh, I think it's I think it's anybody's best guess. And um, again, that dynamic between fullback and tight end, and the transition from what it looks like from game one to game fifteen, you hope. Uh, I I'm really excited to see how that develops. We talked about it a little bit again with Adam Lunt last week. I could see Mike Gundy really holding this close to the vest and holding something for a big game against say Oklahoma that they haven't seen yet. He's, he's almost notorious for that. So um, that's kind of what I'm expecting on the fullback tight end front. Yeah. And it was fun to hear Collins, good low, right. Johnson, these guys talk that we haven't really heard from much this year. Right. They they all seem like great guys. R- r- all were really fun. Justin Wright, you know, shaves his head at the beginning of every fall camp. Mentioned how his wife hates it, says he looks like an egg. That was that was all funny <laughs> stuff. Those guys just seem like really great guys. One other note uh, before we move on to some of the coordinator stuff and something that Alan Bowman said. Mike Gundy mentioned talking about the run game, we're circling back. Some of that stuff we're doing, you would have seen in 2007, 2008, and not to give ourselves flowers, Cade, but we were doing some Twitter threads going back to those games and talking about the run games from those eras. So you can check that out at the Feels Like 45 Pod Twitter account. If you go and look those up, check out our videos, you'll see those. They're not too far back. So that could give you a glimpse of what this season may look like in terms of run style changes as far as gap scheme versus zone scheme. Yeah, which is super exciting. I mean, those were, they were not elite rushing teams, but the difference is that they had a Zach Robinson that was extremely mobile at quarterback. And so 
I think that some of those key elements are absolutely going to be there. And when he said that, I was actually a little bit surprised. I was expecting to hear him say more like 2011, 2013. More like 1945. Yeah, to, to name... You know, the the Insight Bowl year was like, OK, yeah, I think only the hardcore fans, you and I and, and a, a handful of others would be like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that means. So uh, if those years don't jump out, I, I understand. Yeah. And then uh, the note that I mentioned about Alan Bowman, he does his I think he's going to be doing it every week or every couple of weeks. Xavier Benson did it. Danny Gavleski did it. They're writing uh, as part of NIL for Pokes Report. And he mentioned his two camp standouts from kind of the second half of fall camp. On defense, it was Kale Smith, who we've talked about a bunch. He continues to make plays at the cornerback position. On offense, Leon Johnson the third, yeah. a guy we heard that they were possibly looking to redshirt, gets mentioned by Alan Bowman. And then I know we're going to get to it in a little bit. You see him listed on the twos as an or on the depth chart. That was maybe one of the biggest surprises to me out of what Alan Bowman said, what Gundy said, what everybody said, and what I saw on the depth chart. Leon Johnson kind of making a name for himself. It sounds like he really got to work in the summer in the uh, workout, like in offseason workouts with Coach Glass, and that he's able to kind of utilize his revamped body and skill to get some playing time this year. Oh, I mean, he's just a if he's physical enough and he has the you know frame to get physical he's he's a matchup problem i mean marcel aitman you know size that could likely go up and get the ball i i think he could be a a slightly better athlete without the frame so i can't wait to see leon johnson i haven't seen him with my own eyes i i don't have really any clue what to expect but the way alan bowman spoke about him was really praising the way he's come on in fall camp. And it seems like the light is turning on for him, which would be a welcomed addition as, you know, Blaine Green goes from outside back inside. Uh, you you now have one less guy out there. So that, that was a welcomed addition for me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, moving to the coordinators now, Coach Nardo met with the media. We hadn't heard him talk in a while. And also, Cade, Coach Gundy said that the coordinators will not be talking with the media weekly like they were last year. So this might be the last time we hear from coach Nardo for a while, but a couple of interesting notes from him. He said, quote, we have quick buzzwords. I'm a little bit OCD when it comes to language and words mean things. You can't say this word means two different things. So if we tell them one word, they should be able to do it pretty quickly. That's really what it comes down to. The one word play calls is something interesting for the defense, something Nardo's kind of bringing in. I don't think Mason and Knowles did that from what I remember. I know Coach Yursich on the offensive side had a lot of one-word things, but I thought it was interesting, and it kind of fits with what we've heard 100%. about Nardo, just kind of trying to make things simple, coach these guys up, and make it to where they don't have to think, they just do. It also fits with what we know about Mike Gundy. I mean, he's talked about this for years now, his desire to keep things simple. He hasn't really spoken about the terminology so much as just the scheme itself. But I mean, I'm th I'm thinking back to when Brian Nardo was probably talking about this exact thing in the interview room. And you you have to imagine that Mike Gundy's eyes lit up as, you know, you go from what appeared to be a very uh, not maybe complex, but it looked complex trying to get the call down to the field last season 
I, I think that this is going to end up being a really welcomed site for Mike Gundy. And they, they probably fit right in line together in that regard and that philosophy of keeping things really simple. Yeah, I agree. I, I love it. And I, I think it'll work out well for the defense. I also wanted to just read this quick quote when he was asked about Justin Kirkland. Justin Kirkland is a perfect fit in any defense, Nardo said. Justin Kirkland is a great leader. He's a great person. He's a monster. He's unblockable. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, if it wasn't already off the rails, the Justin Kirkland hype train is off the rails. I, I don't know the last time I heard an Oklahoma State coordinator say something like that about anybody. That it's not really a quote that jumps off at the page at me. The, to use the term unblockable is is pretty big time because you're going into your first season as a D1 Power 5 coordinator and you're talking about a guy being unblockable. That's some big hype to live up to for Kirkland, so I love it. What a luxury for Brian Nardo. If that's true... This is going to go well sooner rather than later for him, right? I mean, if you in this three three five, we talked about this. It's almost like at every level of the field, they've got a a certified dude in Justin Kirkland, Colin Oliver, and Kendall Daniels, and some great supporting pieces. But the anchor of the three three five is that nose guard. And I mean, if you have somebody like that, I think that this is going to go well sooner rather than later. For Brian Nardo and it makes sense as to why we've potentially heard so many positive things out of camp it's like if you have that it makes everything easier yeah I agree and the last note on the Nardo interview Ollie Gordon's walking by going coach Nardo Brian Nardo yes coach Nardo. <laughs> just <laughs> yelling at him laughing and coach Nardo started laughing it we've talked about this but the offense not only does the defense love Coach Nardo, but the offensive guys love him. He just seems to be an extremely likable guy. Gundy mentioned that when he was asked about him recently, about how likable he is. It's just awesome to see. And and every time something like that happens, I'm probably going to mention it because it, it's just great. <laughs> I love it. Ollie Gordon's a character. Mike Gundy mentioned him as probably the guy that can keep things the lightest in the huddle uh, in his media session. So uh, not a shocker there. Yeah. Uh, on to Casey Dunn. Not a ton of interesting stuff. You know, he's, I love Coach Dunn, but he's kind of a more of a coach speak guy. He kind of keeps his answers simple. Not that he's not interesting to listen to talk. He just doesn't normally give you a ton of insight into kind of what's going on behind the scenes. And I completely respect that. One thing he did mention, though, is Dijon Stribling being, quote unquote, fantastic. So I thought that was pretty awesome. And then when he was talking about the quarterbacks, he said, we're rolling now. They're all real similar. It's not like a couple of years ago where it was Spencer, who's on one side of the spectrum, and Shane Illingworth, who's on the other side, <laughs> pure dropback passer. That was different. It's not like that. Our quarterbacks now are much more similar to each other. So I guess that's helpful when you're kind of thinking about in terms of if somebody goes down for an injury, what plays you can run with the twos and the threes, how those guys can handle it. I think, you know, Shane Illingworth obviously couldn't do a lot of the things that Spencer Sanders could do. So it's a good point. And I bet it makes some of the, some of the, you know, kind of precautionary measures put into place. If there's any injuries or anything like that, a little bit more easy. It also gives credence a little bit to the fact that these guys probably are closer together than you may think. I mean, even Mike Gundy's he's, he's been throwing up the smoke screen for weeks saying, yeah, they're, they're neck and neck and I couldn't pick one today. 
there's probably some truth to that. If they really are that similar, we've seen Alan Bowman play. We've seen Garrett Rangel play both do some really good and really bad things, but their skill set, like at the core is very similar. And I've, I've thought that for a while and it makes you wonder what's going to be the thing that pushes either one ahead of each other, either to start the season six games in for Bowman, you know, the feather in his cap is his experience, his maturity. You know, he's, he's got great accuracy for Rangel. It could end up being something like his mobility. So I, I actually think that there's a conversation to be had uh, at that spot, maybe more so than I originally thought. Yeah. Yeah. I agree on the Gundy radio show. Basically, I don't know if you got a chance to listen, Cade, but it was great. But pretty much 75% of the show was Gundy just kind of talking about how many play. He said they're going to be playing more players in this game than they have before. Talked about guys from the portal having to get a chance. And he's kind of changed his philosophy talking about, he mentioned Leon Johnson by name saying it's pretty, it's unfair to him to bury him on the depth chart and not even give him a chance to show what he can do in a game. And in this transfer portal era, if you're going to take somebody out of the portal and not play them at all, it's just completely unfair. And he talked about how many, how much they've rotated guys, so many different guys with the ones, twos and threes. So it's been kind of a change. They did some of that last year, but changed it even more this year to kind of the philosophy and how he's practiced in the offseason leading up to the season. He spent a ton of time talking about that. I thought it was really interesting. I know he's brought it up multiple times throughout the offseason, but he went into a lot of detail about it. And it made sense to me. It may be a little bit, you know, of coach speak here and there and some of the stuff, but I get it. And I get putting 16 oars on the depth chart in this transfer portal era. Not only do you not want guys to leave, but it, like he said, it's unfair to these guys to not give them a shot in game action. Yeah. I personally would take a Mike Gundy taught transfer portal ethics class. Like that's a really good point. And it's not something that I had really thought much of until he said it. Um, I don't know if like, for me, if like unfair is the way I think about it, but very unfortunate and if you could prevent it you would want to as a coach and somebody who's trying to develop them as players and men so yeah it it does make sense to me but i don't think i ever really considered it that way and to your point about the depth chart it kind of goes back to what we said weeks ago about why you wouldn't name a starting quarterback so early because you don't want consternation in that room with the ability to jump into the portal like that with one of them who may not win that job. So I, I don't envy Mike Gundy at all, but it does seem like he's uh, whether he's actually more introspective or he's just talking about it more openly. It does seem like something's changed in his approach to the transfer portal. So it's a welcome sign. Yeah. And the last note I wanted to hit from the radio show Dave Hunziker and Gundy talked about that. Dave actually had some stats on the week zero games and kind of with the rule changes. So talking about the clock running after first downs, not stopping till the final two minutes of the second and fourth quarters. So through those seven games, they averaged 126 plays per game compared to last year's full season average of 138 per game. The average game time was three hours and 24 minutes last year's average was three hours and 37 minutes and the Navy Notre Dame game was under three hours total at two hours and 50 minutes and 112 plays. So 
about 12 plays less per game, about 13 minutes less per game on average. And then you saw in a run heavy game that was Navy and Notre Dame, you know, Navy likes to run that kind of triple option offense. You see that game go under three hours. So pretty interesting. I, and I think it pertains to Oklahoma state because Oklahoma state, Mike Gundy's talked about it and Mike Gundy teams have always wanted to do this, run the football. If they're able to run it successfully, you could see some under three hour games. Yeah, it will be a whiplash moment for me because uh, I if you watch that Notre Dame Navy game, it felt like an NFL game. How fast it was moving along! You looked up and it was almost halftime, and I I probably was a little too aggressive on the rule change as a whole because as the day went on, it's like okay, this is starting to feel more normal as you watch USC San Jose State, which was a shootout. It's like. Okay, it makes a lot of sense, but when you have two run-dominant teams like that, it felt like an NFL game and was flying by. So I think there's good and bad, but for Oklahoma State's perspective, I think it benefits a coach like Mike Gundy, who is absolutely going to do his best to use that to his advantage. Think about Bill Snyder with this rule, by the way. I mean, could you imagine that (laughs) offense with this rule? I mean, the Navy-Army game is going to be like an hour and a half long. It could be. It really could be. So it's interesting. And Gundy talked about, you know, it's 12 less plays a game. And then when you look at a full season of 12 plays less every game, you're talking about like two games less of plays throughout the season. So not only just in terms of time, but wear and tear on players' bodies. I know we're getting kind of deep into it now, and it probably won't have these major effects I'm alluding to, but it's really interesting to think about. And you know, he kind of pops up with this stuff off the top of his head, and they're always really interesting quotes when he's think, thinking and talking about the game of football and the philosophy around it. I really do. Uh, I think that's when he's my favorite. One, when he's winning games by running the football. Two, when he's getting philosophical about the game and his approach to it. He's as transparent, I think, as it gets in college football. If you listen to some of these other coaches and their radio shows, he does. he really does a fantastic job. Yeah, I I completely agree. It's awesome to listen to him. That radio show will be weekly. I know they put it out on the OSU Insider podcast. If you're subscribed to that, wherever you get your podcast, you can check that out. It's it's always a good time. And I think they record live Mondays at like 6 p.m. So Yeah, Uh, and and by the way, I've never had the queso at Rib Crib, but Mike Gundy mentions it every time. He loves it. I, I feel like I have to try it because it must be that good. Me and you might have to go get that one day. That would be a very unconventional game day uh, appetizer for you and me to go get. <laughs> we're, just, we're just chugging the queso. I don't even know where Rib Crib is, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, I I know I've been to it before, but yeah, it's not a frequent stop of mine. When well, I go to I'm going to so. change that. Thanks, Coach Gundy, for uh, talking us into the queso there. So the mock game last Saturday, we talked about that with Lon, where they kind of do the full walkthrough and pads and everything. The temperature on the turf was apparently over 120 degrees. So I'd expect it to be similar this Saturday. It's going to be very hot down there for the players. We'll kind of see how much that affects. Mike Gundy already said they're going to play a lot of guys, but if it's that hot, it could be even more than he expected. So you had the Big 12 officials out there, penalties, timeouts. They did halftime, overtime. 
they went through everything. Even the post game singing of the alma mater on the fit on the field, they practiced that. So very interesting. The mock game would probably be something really interesting for the fans to watch, even though they'll get to see the real thing this Saturday. So that kind of wrapped up fall camp game week this week. And the last note, Kate, before we get into depth chart talk that I wanted to hit where three Oklahoma State players were named to the Senior Bowl watch list. The Reese Senior Bowl announced its watch list on Wednesday. It included, last Wednesday, Brennan Presley, Alan Bowman, and Dalton Cooper. And they can update that watch list kind of throughout the year. That That's not anything final. Players can get added to it. And the Senior Bowl will be on February 3rd in Mobile, Alabama. It's awesome. I can't wait to uh, see who ends up in that game for Oklahoma state, that would be a fun, like prop bet line to make. Yeah. You got Dalton Cooper. Who's not even listed as a starter on the first right. depth chart being mentioned in there. And you and I know he's obviously going to play this sure. season, but just thought that was kind of interesting to see his name there. hundred percent. Well, cool. Well, let's get on, let's get into the depth chart talk. I think we'll take one quick break to listen to another word from our sponsor. We want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Classic Overland. Classic Overland specializes in restoring original Land Rover Defenders designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage Defenders before they begin the restoration process, and their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis of Classic Overland are both Oklahoma State graduates and will work with you through the process to ensure you have a great experience. And in addition, if you purchase a Classic Overland Defender and mention this podcast, the Feels Like 45 podcast, their team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the Pokes with a Purpose NIL Collective. To learn more, you can visit their website, classicoverland.com, and you can contact Luke and Robert at robert at classicoverland.com. Thank you. And go Pokes. All right, Cade. Depth chart was released when we thought it would be last Thursday during Mike Gundy's first media luncheon news conference. We mentioned there's 16 oars on the depth chart. <laughs> including the quarterback and running back positions. Gundy mentioned again, quote, we will play multiple quarterbacks maybe for quite a while. I'm not sure yet. Bowman is doing really well, but he hasn't played in two years, and we we know what he did quite a while ago. He's an example of a young man who is in our program that we really like, but we can't discredit anybody who has been in our program that we really like. So it's it's interesting to hear him continue to talk about that to talk about playing multiple quarterbacks. You even see an or at the long snapper position, Cade, looking at the depth chart. And we know that's because Shea Freibaum is going to be snapping on punts and Zeke Zaragoza is going to be doing field goal extra point. That's most likely why there's an or in place. But just a lot of them, we've seen a bunch of depth charts come out all over the country with ors all over them. What were some of your big takeaways? And Honestly, you, I know you probably didn't have any from the ones because, again, not to give ourselves flowers, not to flex, but I don't think we missed anybody in the ones. So, well, got that right. That that was actually my takeaway is that we were pretty <laughs> dead on, especially on the offensive line. And you've been on that for 
months now. So that was what I was going to say. But I got this one. I think (laughs) that's fair. And and, uh, I am as well. I would say the Leon Johnson note is an obvious one. Um, I'd have to think about it. I I, I fully expected most of them, like the Jaden Nixon or Ollie Gordon. That was fairly obvious to me. Is there one that stood out to you? I think on offense, there were a couple that were interesting, and these may just be interesting because of how long I was looking at it and probably not <laughs> that interesting to our listeners. But or at backup right tackle almost seems pointless. Calvin Harvey or Noah McKinney. I, I just an or if you're not an or on the first team on the offensive line is just a little odd to me. But I think maybe that has to do again with Noah McKinney being a guy that transferred in and they want to throw him as an or to so he knows he has a shot to prove himself. I think you're I think you're spot on about that. A hundred percent. And I think additionally, not a bad thing to know. You probably have a, you know, a a battle at backup right tackle. Noah (laughs) McKinney was the guy too. Like we heard a little bit about him coming on late. So it's not shocking, but yeah, that, that is an interesting one. I, I didn't, I didn't quite consider that one. Another one, Cade, we mentioned that we had heard he was injured and never really heard if he was back. Kale Cabanis not listed at wide receiver. That could be because he he's not a one or a two. But, you know, we saw him on the depth chart last season due to some injuries and other things of that nature. And he's not on here. I'm wondering if he is still injured or if he's really just not a one or a two. Well, that's a tough one. My gut says he's not a one or a two because if you look at this, I mean, on one side, you've got Deshaun Stribling, Talon Shetron, or Leon Johnson. And on the other You've got Jaden Bray, Rashad Owens. There's no or in either of those. I do feel like that's kind of your tier one. And then you've got your reserves at tier two. However, he may very well be injured. But I, I just kind of goes back to my the point I've tried to make since the season ended and the portal happened. Like, I think this wide receiver room is deep, like really deep. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I, and I think I tend to agree with you there. I just kind of wanted to call that out because – Still not 100% sure about the cavernous injury there. Definitely hurts some wide receiver depth if he is injured. And then the last one is one we already talked about it. We don't have to stay on it for too long. But I went through our way too early depth chart that we've talked about multiple times on the podcast and kind of changed as we went through fall camp. The only guy that we didn't talk about that's listed on the offense was Leon Johnson. Right. He's the only guy we didn't talk about in the ones and twos. We talked about Quentin Stewart and Ian Edenfield at backup tight end. We talked about Casty and Schultz, all the running backs, quarterbacks, obviously the offensive line. But Leon Johnson was a guy that I thought I had heard they were trying to get a red shirt for. That still may be the case, but I didn't expect him to be on the two deep. Yeah, I don't think I I did either. Now as I'm I'm looking at it again, I'm kind of going back to the running back room. How I didn't realize it was oars all the way down. It's Ollie oh, Gordon yeah. or Jaden Nixon or Elijah Collins. I mean, why stop there? Or Zach Middleton you, who transferred. It could be him too. So many combinations could run out there with the first team on at quarterback and running back. I hope, according to this I hope Mike chart. Gundy trolls us and sends out, you know, 
with the twos, Eaton throw Thompson out and Noah Sissy. McKinney. Gunnar Gundy's your starting quarterback. Elijah Collins runs out with the ones. I would be here for that. Speaking of Peyton Thompson, I don't know if we talked about this, but he was with the team two years ago and ran scout team QB, and then he transferred to UCO, and they he transferred back. And from what I've heard, the coaching staff and the players that were on the team two years ago that are still there are so pumped about that. He apparently like is an amazing scout team quarterback. Just wow. gives him a great look every time. Always knows the other team's offense inside and out to be able to run it. So shout out to Peyton Thompson for helping That's these guys awesome. practice. Man, okay. scout team quarterback. That is an underrated Important. thing that you need to have. Like we've never really spoken about that. But what a selfless thing to do, too, to be like, that's my role. I'm going to help this way. I love that. Yeah, so definitely wanted to shout him out on the podcast and give him his flowers for that. I think, I, I think I'm running out of being able to talk about giving away flowers on this episode already. I've said it like <laughs> six times. But Yeah, you just bought out Cheevers. <laughs> Let's move to defensive notes. Cade, the first one that stood out to me here, and kind of along with the Leon Johnson note, but reverse, this is a guy that we talked about that we didn't see. I'm an Oates at nose tackle. You see Colin Clay or Justin Kirkland, which we thought was probably going to happen. I honestly wouldn't be that shocked if Colin Clay rolled out there first, just with the seniority of being on the team and how much they're going to rotate those guys. But Aiden Kelly is the third guy listed at nose tackle, and I'm an Oates is nowhere to be found on the depth chart. Yeah. Uh, kind of shocking. I mean, we have said though that your defensive line with this shift to a three, three, five, all of a sudden got stupid deep. One, one of the best, I think it's going to end up being in the big 12. Our buddy, Josh Pate said the exact same thing. So uh, I, at some point you're going to run out of slots, but he's not the guy that I would have expected to be missing on this depth chart. There, there would have yeah. been others that I would have thought would have been missing first, but on the positive side, big news for Aiden Kelly to see him listed 100%. on there. I know a lot of fans ask about him. He was you know, a solid high school recruit that's gone through some injury issues with his shoulder, missing spring. Like, like I said, he wasn't at the practice I was at. He was injured during that. So it's great to see him. He's apparently a very tenacious, intense player on the field and just like the nicest guy off the field. So I'll always love when you can flip that switch, but Hopefully he gets out there some in this game, and I think he will. There's another guy who would have been like a Leon Johnson, but we got saved by Adam Lunt bringing up bringing him up last podcast. Israel Usaman Hundley at yep. defensive end. He's listed behind Nathan Latou and at or with Deshaun Brown. I, you see him in like every video that gets posted. Yep. His number 37, it always stands out to me because it's on the defensive line. We've heard about him for a while. When when they recruited him, we heard that he was really raw, had a lot to work on technique-wise. And now he's listed behind Nathan Latou, which means he's probably going to get quite a few snaps because Gundy mentioned that this defensive line could be 9, 10 deep. I mean, he's a redshirt senior. I mean, he's been in this program for a long time, has some serious run. Um, it's not shocking, too. Like, he's a guy, yes, he's in those videos, but there are other you know, outlets that, that know things that report on this team. And and he's a guy that is mentioned frequently as a, Hey, just keep an eye on him. So 
uh, that I, I'm thankful that Adam saved us on that because uh, Thanks, he's Adam. he's one that uh, I I would have been surprised that we missed him because I think he's going to be a factor. Yeah, and then several guys in the defensive backfield that we we've talked about, but when we got down to ones and twos, we left them out. So, kind of going back to what I'm getting at here is these aren't guys we just completely forgot about. Got they're guys we like, we just didn't have them in our ones and twos, and we knew that was going to happen. One, because we're dumb, and two, because there's guys who we hadn't heard about that we know have performed really well. One of those, to Kelvian Beeman, who's mentioned on the JEP chart as an or behind Cam Smith, and his or partner is Kale Smith, who we've talked about a ton at the cornerback position. And then Ladarius Webb Jr. mentioned as an or with our guy Cam Epps behind Trey Rucker at uh, the safety spot. So... Really interesting. Ladarius Webb, a guy who we thought could maybe play corner, maybe could play safety. He was very hyped up coming out of junior college. He's got a great pedigree with his dad playing in the NFL. He didn't, I don't even remember seeing him at the practice I was at. And then he pops up as an oar at safety on the depth chart. I love both of those guys. I'll start with DeKelvion Beeman. People love him. That He has been a guy that is mentioned one for his on-field ability, but two, like they, they say he's just a great dude and people love being around him. It was exciting for me to see his name on there because I've been curious to see where he's stacked up. I, I look at this defensive backfield and there are a lot of dudes there. There really are. There's a lot of young dudes, but you look at Kendall Daniels and Ty Williams, both redshirt sophomores, Ty Williams, not a guy we've seen a ton of, but I think the potential is there a guy that I've got circled for a big time year. And I know you were talking Ladarius Evan to Kelvion Beeman, but I think Trey Rucker may be by like week eight, a, a household big 12 name, like people who know the game will talk about him. I just think he's going to have a fantastic year. And then you look down the, or, down or the line, accidentally knock someone out or, or he will be the first collegiate athlete to be fined for, for multiple penalties for unnecessary roughness. So there is that possibility as well. But I mean, I mean, there's guys like Kenneth Harris, who's featured as a or on the second uh, cornerback slot. That's a good problem to have. I mean, th- th- I think that this is a deep unit as well. Yeah, I agree. One thing, Cade, as well with the Kelvin Beeman, he's a guy who last year we heard was getting some run and tr- fighting for yep. a spot at the strike safety, that nickel corner. So he's someone super versatile that can play cornerback, can play nickel, can play safety. So just a freak athlete, a guy you and I, you especially have always liked and a guy I've always liked as well. Before we get to special teams, Cade, one note that I wanted to bring up to you, a lot of changes to the labeling on the step chart. Cowboy back is gone. No more CW. And you've got a TE for tight end. You've got the FB for fullback. On defense, you no longer have DT anywhere. You have two defensive ends, and you have the nose tackle spot, the NT. And then Kendall Daniels and Ty Williams not listed as safety S, but R for Rover. So something that caught my eye when I was scrolling down and saw the letter R and was like, Oklahoma State, I feel like is, you know, some teams will write Bandit, Leo, yeah. Joker. Oklahoma State's always been a, wide receiver w wr and on this one they, they're getting a little fancy 
Uh, your your analytical brain never ceases to amaze me because I n- did not notice that until right now. <laughs> and literally, as you were talking about the safeties, I'm looking at it. I'm like, yeah, what? <laughs> I, I just didn't even see it because I think I'm just so used to these guys stacked up where they're at. Well done there, sir. Well done. I do like, I, I know the coaches probably could care less and would rather just say wide receiver or safety. But I do like when the teams add what they call the the each position, especially those linebacker defensive end hybrids or safety linebacker hybrids. It makes me feel cool to know the terminology. So shout <laughs> I, out to the coaches. Yeah, I personally think it's great. And I, I would love to know what the craziest name is out there for that rover spot. Like there's Cheetah too. Like there's got to be some crazy one. I think it's Saban who has referred to it as Elephant in the past and i don't know if that has to do with alabama you know the elephant crimson tide mascot but elephants i know that uh belichick has some weird ones that he's used one of the books that i was reading went through a lot of them elephant is not the word for me like that that signifies the wrong thing you want in that position like joker cheetah rover all of those make total sense elephants like that would be your nose tackle, I would think. But yeah, that's neither here nor I, I there. I do, I do love, I loved Strike for that yeah, nickel corner yeah. that Knowles used. I that was one that I hadn't heard a lot of. I'd seen it before, but not a lot. So that's a cool one. Okay, before we get out of the way, we got to hit special teams because got to shout out to my guy Logan Ward from Deer Creek High School. He will be doing kickoffs and he'll be kicking everyone out of the back of the end zone. Coach Gundy also said any field goal longer than 50, 55 yards, Ward will probably take that and not Alex Hale. Whoa. I'm really excited to see Alex Hale. Before he got injured, Cade, he was really, really good. I think Tanner Brown ended up being a better kicker than him, but I think Hale has some potential. And then the last one I have to shout out, my guy Wes Paul coming over from, I think it's Western Kentucky and winning the starting job, winning the spot for America over the Australian punter <laughs> in Hudson Cack. Yeah. Some, some uh, crossfire there to our friends in Australia. <laughs> I mean, I know you've been rooting for this. I didn't know it was like nationalist in nature. That's hey, more, more to you, more power to you. <laughs> I, I also love the, or at long snapper. I know we talked about it and we know the reason why I just, it's so funny to see the, or there. I mean it, but, to be fair, Zeke Zaragoza, I think Mike Gundy loves that guy. He talks about him a lot. For oh, a, yeah, a and he's got a great story. Almost yeah, he really like not being able to walk yeah. and playing college football. Yeah, I actually forgot that right until you just brought that up. Yeah, fantastic story. Kate, another weird note I literally just noticed. Iman Oates used to be in the pronunciation box, and he's not there anymore. Is that because he's not on the depth chart? Or could it be something else? Wow. I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, but it's concerning. We may have to cut that. We may have to cut that. That may, <laughs> that may be too hot of a take. <laughs> we we can cut anything we need to at any time. And we do. You guys should hear the, uh, the, the things that are left on the cutting room floor. <laughs> All right, Cade. I, I don't think I have anything else on depth chart. I know we didn't talk about a lot of the guys who are ones. You know, we got the or at line at Mike linebacker with Nick Martin and Justin Wright. I think Nick Martin's going to roll out there first. I love it. We went through the whole depth chart though last week, and we talked 
every single guy that's a one is who we talked about on offense and defense. So I think we covered it. Just kind of wanted to hit some of those twos notes, talk a little special teams and talk, you know, at the end there, a little conspiracy theory. I love it. I mean, and we don't do that a whole lot, but we should do it more. Just throw it out there. It's up to you to decide. All right. Uh, do you want to move into the Central Arkansas preview? I think we should. I can't freaking wait. All right. Let's do it. Oklahoma State will be facing Central Arkansas this Saturday at 6 p.m. Central Time in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Kate, I was able to go back and watch three games from last season. They played Ole Miss, Lindenwood, and Missouri State. And I also went back to the 2017 season, because we'll talk about it a little bit more in a minute. Their defensive coordinator from that season had left, and now he's back in his first year back. So I went back to that season to kind of watch what he did when he was there, Greg Stewart. And that was against Houston Baptist, who's now changed their name to Houston Christian, which I think we've talked about on here randomly before. <laughs> it was their fun team to watch. And the reason why I felt comfortable going back and watching last year is because they return. I think we'll get to it. I have the note in a minute, but like 18 players combined on both sides of the ball and all of the major positions return. And some of the guys who don't, who weren't every game starters last year, like center Jacob Cox, he still started like four games. So almost their entire offense is coming back. Head coach Nathan Brown, he's in his sixth season. He's been involved with the program since 2004 when he was a player. He played QB from 2004 to 2008 and still holds the career records for passing yards, TDs, and completions. He was the QB coach from 2009 to 13 took over as the OC in 2014 and he has been the head coach since 2018 with a 30 and 25 record. He's an offensive coach by nature, obviously, as I said, spread disciple. And he was the offensive coordinator in 2015 when Oklahoma state beat UCA in their only meeting 32 to eight. I like Nathan Brown. I like that. He kind of has a little bit of Mike Gundy about him that he, played quarterback and has been basically with UCA his entire playing and coaching career. I know Mike Gundy left for a little bit for Maryland, but it's very similar there. And he he's a guy that I kind of liked learning a little bit about. Yeah. I, I respect that a lot, especially at a school like uh, central Arkansas. They, you know, obviously at the level they are, it, it takes a guy that really loves that university. I would think to stick around that long and leave an impact on it like that. And I'll, I'll say I enjoyed watching them. Like I, I think that any other year it's easy to look at this game and be like, well, it's central Arkansas. That's a bummer. What I think this game shapes up to be, and not to put the cart before the horse. I mean, the way that they set up offensively, I can't wait to see the way Oklahoma state's defense looks against what is really a spread offense? I mean, it's it's what it yeah, it's, is with a with a, a true lot spread. Yeah, true spread with a lot of motion, but really going to try to move you around, kind of like the old days in the Big Twelve. So uh, I think it's just a nice complementing style to what Oklahoma State is trying to break in. Yeah, I agree. And we won't this next part and kind of that beginning part. We probably won't go into this much detail once we get into conference play. 
but in the non-con, it's kind of fun. Like I had a good time. And I, I think you did too. We talked about it off air, learning about these teams, especially teams like Central Arkansas and South Alabama, who I know we've played recently, but it's fun to kind of learn a little bit about these teams. And sometimes, and this didn't happen this time, but it'll happen uh, down the line. You'll, you'll see like an old friend, a guy that you did not know transferred to Central Arkansas or South Alabama from somewhere else. And you're like, oh, I remember that guy from, you know, name the school. Oh, yeah. I've got a good one for you in a little bit. Remind okay. me if I, I will get to mention a, a, an old friend. Okay, I will. The other thing I'll say about Central Arkansas, and if you follow us on Twitter, you will have seen this. Their field is disgusting. It's awful, but I respect it. It is, if you have not seen this, it is purple and silver stripes at incrementing five, five yards. yards. Every five yards. It's terrible. <laughs> it almost, like, I, I was, like, dizzy watching yeah. these games because they played two of them I watched. They were at home. Yeah, I just, uh, boy, it's not, not my style. I'm thankful that Oklahoma State doesn't go with, like, orange and black. Orange and black. <laughs> oh, just be really... <laughs> really tough on the eyes uh purple and silver was bad enough if if the first oklahoma state game i walked into when i was a freshman in 2007 was orange and black field i may have transferred (laughs) shortly after you would have just gone to lsu with the grass like keep the grass green um but anyway love learning about this team they were five and six in both 2022 and 2021 so the fact that they're bringing a lot of guys back, I said, but they weren't great last year. Their defense struggled. They've only been an FCS team since 2007. And in that time, they've made the playoffs five times, but they haven't been since 2019. They've moved around conferences too recently, and some conferences have changed names. So they were a member of the Southland Conference from 2006 to 2020, but they moved to the Atlantic Sun last season and now they'll play in the newly formed United Athletic Conference, the UAC. Kate, here's your first old friend, <laughs> Darren Shrum. Holy cow. Casey Shrum's husband was a starting guard on the NAIA National Championship team at UCA. Fantastic. You mentioned the purple and silver striped fields. Uh, and just, for, just to kind of, I, I threw this note in as a reminder, talking about the FCS playoffs, it's a 24 team field. So when I talk about making the playoffs, it's not like they're making a four team. You don't have to knock them down a peg. No, 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 I'm not trying to. I just wanted to call that out because later, you know, I'll probably talk about how I do think this is an FCS playoff team, but I don't want you to think I'm talking about like a top four team in the FCS. That's a great, it's a great reminder because you'll, you'll send some people into a frenzy on Twitter. Yes. Their spring game was April 8th. I wasn't able to even find highlights from that. I wish it was televised. I would have loved to watch a spring game between two teams that are the same color of the field. That would have been very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So as I mentioned, the Cowboys have only faced the Bears once. 32-8 to win in 2015. Mason Rudolph threw for over 400 yards. David Glidden logged a career-best 145 receiving yards and two touchdowns. They're coming off that five and six season, but they went three and two in their first season in the A-Sun Conference, earning them co-champ honors. I know that sounds weird. I think there were only like six teams in the A-Sun, and now there's like nine, I think, in the UAC. 
They did lose a lot of close games last year, though. So some that could have flipped their way. 2023, they return senior quarterback Will McIlvain, who threw for 2,500 yards and 18 touchdowns a year ago. They're going to be playing in Stillwater, and then they go to Fargo to face FCS powerhouse North Dakota State. They were picked second in the coaches poll for the UAC behind Eastern Kentucky. The rest of that conference is Austin P, Stephen F. Austin, Abilene Christian, Tarleton State, Utah Tech, where Justin Kirkland is from, Southern Utah, and North Alabama. 16 starters returning, sorry. Nine on offense, seven on defense. I think I said 18 earlier. They held their scrimmages kind of similar to Oklahoma State, one on 8-12, August 12th. So 100 plays, but they held a lot of their good players out of that one, according to Coach Brown. And on August 19th, everybody was a full go. Everybody got to practice full speed. I think they were being kind of cautious with injuries with kind of the Oklahoma State and North Dakota State back-to-back there. Golly. The one takeaway from Coach Brown that was negative that I saw on the scrimmage, he had a lot of positive things to say, which we'll get into. A lot of penalties on offense. So something to watch for this Saturday, see if they can kind of you know, eliminate, mitigate that a little bit. We'd prefer them to just go ahead and have those penalties. But, Kate, any other general thoughts before we kind of get into the key guys on offense in the scheme? I'm surprised he just didn't add the field as another negative. Uh, I, I, I would have immediately said that. <laughs> the field is – you got to go check it out. If you haven't seen my Twitter videos, the field is very strange. And, Cade, I mentioned this to you off air – little personal side note, I'm a little sick right now. I'm more just being a baby. But two days ago, my voice was completely gone, and it's starting to wear a little thin because I've been talking too much, and I'm going to continue to ramble. So if it starts to go away, listeners, I apologize. I know it starts off annoying already, and it's going to get no, you, more so as we move on. You just sound really cool. You you sound uh, weathered like you've you know you've been walking through a <laughs> – Like all I've been doing is watching like, film. Even you live in like Midland and you've just, you know, you just seen some stuff. That's what you sound like. Well, well, apologies, apologies to the listeners for, for that voice, but getting into the central Arkansas bears offense, they were 24th in FCS and passing offense, 43rd in rushing offense and 13th in yards per play. When we preview other schools that are FBS schools, we're going to have way more team stats than that, but they don't have as many readily available on the FCS. So their key losses on offense, Jalen Hendricks, their right guard, first team all a son from watching their games last year. I thought he was the best player on their offensive line. He is no longer there. center. We talked about this a little bit. Jack green. He shared time with Jacob Cox though. And then John David, Wright, White, sorry, wide receiver, their fourth leading receiver. He is gone. He additions Shandarik Powell, Transfer running back from North Alabama, very talented transfer running back. Dax Courtney, tight end, Arkansas transfer, and Dathan Davis, a wide receiver from JUCO. Those are some key guys that transferred in. Kate, I know you saw a little bit about Shandarik Powell. Dude's kind of a freak, and he transferred into kind of already a loaded running back room with Darius Hale and Kylan James. Yeah, I don't, I mean, he's going to be their starter, I would think, right? Or, or is he? I know he's not listed as that, but I mean, Hale, kind of their Hale best guy. was like one of the leading rushers in the A Sun last year. Yeah, he's so he, I, 
He's the and guy. then James was second on the team in receiving yards as the backup running back. Yeah, yeah, good point. I, I so like I like both of those guys, but I think Powell uh, is he's impressive. I think he'll I think he will pop a little bit on on Saturday. He definitely will. I think that's a great call out because Hale and James are both like 220, 215, mm-hmm. and Powell's like 511, 190. Yep. So he's quite a bit smaller and he's very, very agile and fast. So a name to watch. And we'll talk a little bit more about running backs in a minute. One thing wise, sorry, Dustin, I don't mean to cut you off, but right as we're talking about this, one thing I meant to say, when you play these FCS schools, I, I don't think the skill talent is as big the differentiator as what's in the trenches. Like that's that's yeah. where these games become blowouts. It it's re- like guys like Shinderick Powell, you know, are they power five guys? No, but they they'll make some plays in a game like this almost every single time. It's really those trenches that'll that'll stand out. Oh yeah, that's a great call out. And I great call out on the skill talent as well, because that's something we obviously have to take into account as we're previewing this game. Ken Columns, their OC, he's been the OC for six years. He played QB at UCA, similar to Nathan Brown, their head coach. From 91 to 94, he coached previously at UCA from 2000 to 2004, where he was OC for three of those seasons. And he was most recently the head coach at Abilene Christian before coming back to UCA. And Kate, here's your other old friend (laughs) alert. Cowboys current offensive quality control coach, J.W. Walsh, former OSU quarterback, J.W. Walsh, was on Collins' staff as running backs coach at Abilene Christian. I thought about that. And so, okay, back me up. He's at Abilene Christian, and now he's in Stillwater, correct? That Or is he yes. at Central? Okay, okay, thank you. That, yeah, that so confused me for a bit because earlier. He coached with Ken Collins. There we go. Abilene Christian, UCA's offensive coordinator. I was thinking about J.W. Walsh earlier, which is why this threw me for a loop, because I was like, was it Abilene Christian or Central Arkansas? Their color scheme is the exact same. I I could not figure it out. (laughs) And same conference now in the UAC. Different field. (laughs) Different. Very different. Not purple and silver striped. All right. Scheme-wise, we talked about it a little bit. I'll just do some quick hitters, Cade, and you can kind of tell me what you saw from them. Their spread... Heavy 11 personnel, as a reminder to the listeners, that's one tight end on the field, three receivers, one running back, one quarterback. They'll mix in some 12P with two tight ends and 20 and 21 personnel, which would be two running backs and no tight ends or two running backs and one tight end. Think of those as two back sets. Run game, inside zone heavy with some split zone variations. Split zone, as a reminder, is when... The tight end is lined up in the H-back, a little offset of the tackle, and moves across the formation to block that edge defender on either inside or outside zone. They, they used gap scheme as well, and they went heavy GH counter in that Lindenwood game. That's where the backside guard and the tight end pull around to lead block for the running back. I think you'll see Oklahoma State running that some as well. Some people call it GY counter or H counter. They ran some power with the backside pulling guard and then some pin and pull, which is the pulling of an uncovered lineman. So offensive lineman will pull if no defensive lineman is lined up over him. Or sometimes that offensive lineman will just pull because that's how the play was designed. They use some jet sweep motion, which Oklahoma State does as well. A few QB designed runs. And I saw some halfback draws in there. Okay, this rushing attack, 
I don't know. You mentioned it already. I don't know how this offensive line will be able to block it because they weren't able to block very well against Ole Miss, who beat them forty nine or fifty nine to three right. last year. They blocked well at times against Lindenwood and Missouri State. I don't know if they're going to be able to block Justin Kirkland, but these running backs in Darius Hale, Kylan James, and some Derek Powell, if they get an opening, they're going to get yards, and sometimes they create plays on their own. Yeah, I, I just think that this is going to end up being a, a cl- very clear athletic mismatch. I, I do like McIlvain, though. I mean, he's he's not the most accurate but he's got a little bit of a gunslinger mentality to him. And I do like that. It seems like he knows where to go with the ball pretty much every time um, in, in him being their quarterback. One thing I'll say about the, just their scheme a little bit overall, I think it's going to be a good look at the Oklahoma state corners. I think that they're going to test them in the bubble screen action, hitch action. I think you're going to see a lot of man coverage, which you would expect in a matchup like this, you you want to get some good quality reps with your guys out on an island. But I, I think it's going to happen early and often. And and in a 3-3-5, you know, they they often say nose tackle and corners are what makes you because your corners need yeah. to be good tacklers. I think this is a good game to showcase both the tackling ability of the cornerbacks and how do they defend in space. Because I think I think Central Arkansas is going to try to spread them out. Yeah, it's a great segue into the passing attack too. RPO heavy, a lot of zone hitch, a lot of zone quick screen screen RPOs. They love the wide receiver screens. They kind of go to those field read RPOs where you're, the quarterback makes the determination pre-snap, depending on how many guys are in the box and how many guys are out wide on the receivers, whether to hand it off or throw the screen. If it tells you anything, they love to get the running back involved in the passing game. I mentioned Kylan James, their backup running back, was their second leading receiver. On deep balls, they would go to guys like Miles Butler and Jared Barnes. Barnes is kind of their go-to deep threat, and I would I would say is their best receiver. Christian Richmond, the slot, makes some plays. He's I think he's more of a guy that can hurt you on special teams. He returned a kick in that Lindenwood game that I watched. And then McIlvain, he likes to roll out. So he doesn't it, it looked like Cade, tell me if I'm wrong here, but he unless he really got his feet set though. Yeah. There wasn't a ton of zip on the ball, not a no. ton of power from that arm. He's not a very big guy. No, not the biggest arm, not the most accurate. Again, I think he's probably some wobblers. It's it is a little bit of like a it's kind of what you would expect to see in a, a quarterback at this level. Like, and I I mean that with all due respect, but the the brain is there but it's just limitations in other areas and again he's he's a little bit more athletic than i think you would think but if i i think i noticed exactly what you said if his feet aren't set the ball's low it's high it's to the left it's to the right um yeah i i what i liked about him was it seemed like he knew what to do it's just it didn't always look good i agree and kind of a compact throwing motion he can get rid of it quick it's just not like you said it's not always going to the right spot he looked and i'm not saying he shouldn't have been it's an fcs team against an sec team but he looked completely overwhelmed yeah against Ole miss they only scored three points in that game and the offense could get nothing going darius hale was doing everything he could just to gain one yard it's exactly what you would expect in a game like that and frankly it's it's to a degree, what I expect uh, on Saturday. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. They use a lot of motion. A lot of that, they would line up two receivers and twins on one side with a single receiver to the other. And then they would motion that slot receiver either in kind of a jet motion where they snap it when he's right behind the center or they let him go all the way over to kind of reset to twins on the other side. A lot of tight end in the H-back spot. They would use, They have Jordan Owens, who's kind of their pass-catching tight end. He's still a big dude, number 89. And then they have Austin Eldridge, who's more of your, I would I call it, thought of it more as your cowboy back. He's number 47. He's a very good blocker at that tight end spot. That's kind of, Kate, I mean, it's pretty much shotguns with some pistol mixed in there, full spread team. I think that's really it. That, that's kind of all the notes I had on their scheme and kind of their overall offense. Uh, maybe a couple guys we can hit on a little bit more, but anything I miss kind of scheme-wise and what they like to do? No, I, I think you were all over it. Um, again, I, I go back to my original statement. I, I think that you know it's a perfect offense to to get a glimpse at this new scheme uh, this new defensive scheme against, I, I, I think that they're going to do some things that'll make Oklahoma state think a little bit. I, I just think that the, the mismatch will be apparent. And frankly, like Dustin, I, I think a shutout is probably in play in a game like this, which would be a really nice, you know, start to Brian Nardo's tenure. But, uh, I expect, you know, I expect, a, a bust or two to lead to a chunk play or two at some point. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I think it's, I think the athleticism and skill difference here is what you'd expect from an it's FCS. Vast. And, and yes, <laughs> uh, some guys to watch for UCA on offense. We mentioned some, but on the offensive line, their left guard, Will Diggins, he was the highest returning graded run blocker, according to PFF. And he was actually the A Sun freshman of the year wow. as a left guard. Second team all A Sun in 2022. Bill Steele had him on his preseason second team all conference. Guys that I think could get abused are the tackles, Justin Larry and Frazier Rose. Both talented guys. I just think they're going to struggle, especially if you send a guy like Colin Oliver, Xavier Benson, Nick Martin off the edge. It's going to be tough for these guys. They, they have trouble. They had trouble keeping up with the speed rushers from Lindenwood and Missouri state, much less right. the Ole Miss and Oklahoma state teams. That's just unfair. I mean, you, you look at those guys and Frazier Rose, I mean, specifically he, he jumped out as somebody that just looked overwhelmed most of the time. Um, I, and Will Diggins, you called him out. I, I wonder if he knows Charlie Dickey. I'm just saying I, they seem like that they, <laughs> they would get along well is all I would just pointing out there. I but, like that. I like where your head's at. That's something, you know, going through, going through these non-con games, it's like who, uh, who could transfer? Yeah, who, who you like? <laughs> so uh, weird. We Such a weird era. It really is. I think we talked about all the running backs, you know, like a, Sean Derek Powell to hit on him again, five nine one eighty compared to Darius Hale, who's five eleven two twenty five, and Kylan James, who's six foot two twenty. It, it's he's going to be noticeably different out there. He was a Walter Payton Award finalist. Powell was co A Sun Offensive Player of the Year. Phil Steele has him on first team. He's preseason All Conference team according to the coaches, and he's on the twenty twenty three Walter Payton Award preseason watch list. So. It's crazy that we don't even know if he's for sure going to start because Hale was a son freshman of the year in 2021. 
and he was all conference again last year, rushing for all, rushing for over a thousand his freshman year and almost a thousand last year. And then James, who had 600 yards rushing and 600 yards receiving. Yeah, I, they are a a talented bunch. And I feel like they may be a little bit limited by a quarterback that struggles to get the ball to them accurately and and on time. Yeah, I agree. Uh, as far as receivers go, Jared Barnes, 5'11", 180. He's kind of the deep threat on the outside. Miles Butler, 6'2", 190. I think of him as more like their Marcel Aitman, third down guy. Uh, when McIlvain rolls out of the pocket, the play breaks down. Butler normally is the guy he tries to look for in between the zone or trying to kind of finding the busted coverage. And then Chris Richmond at 5'8", 175. He's their slot guy. Not a ton of receptions last year. I think he had 34 for 417. But like I said, took a kickback in the Lindenwood game. Definitely don't let him take a kickback. <laughs> yeah, I, that will make a lot of people's heads explode in a game like this. Yeah, and then Will McIlvain, we talked about it. 5'11", 185. He's a former Northern Iowa transfer he actually set their conference record for passing yards as a freshman with 2,778. He was second team all A-Sun last season. He is a quarterback, Cade, correct me if I'm wrong, that's really good in FCS, and when he gets to the FBS level, yeah. the things he's able to do at FCS, he's not able to do, like run, get out of the pocket, 100%. make plays with his legs. He's not even really a running quarterback. He's just athletic, and if he if he's going to get pressured all game, from three and four man rushes, he's not going to be able to do anything. He he's able to make plays if he's got a little bit of time or if he's able to get outside the pocket and get away from defenders. I don't think he'll be able to do either of those against Oklahoma State. No, I, I don't think so either. And again, that's that's what the Oklahoma State defensive scheme is built to do is is not allow those gashing runs on the outside. That that's kind of the point. So uh anyway, I, I don't I don't see a lot from them that uh, jumps off. I I just I like the the matchup and the theme of this early on because as Oklahoma State goes to Arizona State, not to put the cart before the horse, I I think that some things they'll see from UCA will be what they see against Arizona State in some regards. So yeah, no, that's a great call out, Cade. Moving to the defense, <laughs> I think this is where the game is going to get really out of hand. You're talking about a defense that returns one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven guys, eight guys. If it, I, I listed 12 players because they might mix three, four, three, three, five, but let's say seven, eight guys on a defense that was 76th in FCS in passing defense and 97th in rushing defense and Cade, they lost their two best defensive tackles in Caden Brown and Jalen Bedell. If Mike Gundy wants to run the football, I think this is the game. I, I think Cade in this game, Oklahoma State is going to go off running the ball, and it's just going to cause so much hype for the rest of the season as far as the running game when I think you have to level your expectations because even though two UCA's best players are their defensive ends. Their linebackers in the middle of that defensive line are inexperienced and they just weren't very good last year. Well, and I, I think you said it, level your expectations because I think that Oklahoma State's running attack should look dominant 
in a game like this. I know they want to get Alan Bowman, Garrett Rangel, some some good quality reps. But I if there's a game plan approach to this, it's it's get the offensive line and the running backs working in a live setting a lot. I, I mean, I I think they're gonna run the ball. I don't know how many plays they're gonna run, but I'm gonna go. 65 to 70% run. I, I, yeah, I, I think it's going to be heavy run. I was going to say, I think they probably get, you know, 65, 70 plays, and I think more than half a run. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you on that. And it's because of the reasons you just listed. I mean, this, this is where the game should be won. Yeah, and not to mention that they lost those two defensive tackles. They also lost one of their starting linebackers in Corley Hooper. However, they did add some guys. Michael Onwerzurike. He's an East Central transfer linebacker. He should be in the rotation. Cornerback Andrew Hayes should be in the rotation. And then they added defensive end Reggie Shepard from JUCO and defensive tackle Eric Bentley from Austin P. All those guys should probably factor in. I mentioned Greg Stewart. It's his first, their defensive coordinator, his first year back at UCA. He previously coached at UCA from 2014 to 2017. That's why I watched the Houston Baptist game from 2017. He has 24 years of coaching experience at the NCAA Division II, FCS, and FBS levels. Oklahoma State actually played against him mm. as a defensive coordinator in 2010 when Oklahoma State played Louisiana Lafayette. So they'll see him in Stillwater again this weekend. I don't know what they're going to do exactly scheme-wise. I tried to listen to some interviews with co- head coach Brown. Last year, it was a 4-2-5. I put the image out. At times, it looked like a 3-3-5 because they would stand up their boundary defensive end, Logan Jessup, but he's a true defensive end. They would just He's just athletic enough to also play linebacker. When Stewart was there in 2017, they ran a legit 3-4 with oh, two wow. inside linebackers and two outside linebackers. <laughs> I think from what Coach Brown is saying, it's going to be look more like a 3-3-5. Apparently, Jessup is going to stand up at times, be hand in the ground. And then David Walker, who we'll talk a little bit more in a minute, is playing their new position, Bandit, which is a defensive end linebacker hybrid. So I would expect to see four hands in the ground and three hands in the ground kind of interchangeably. In coverage, it looked like they like to do a lot of quarters and cover one with some zone mixed in. I saw some cover three at times. Stewart and their defensive coordinator from last year loved to stunt and twist on the defensive line. So if you see a defensive end looping around a defensive tackle and rushing through the middle of the offensive line, that's kind of what I'm talking about there. They'll mug their linebackers. They'll Stewart was more aggressive than their defensive coordinator last year. So if I was them and I, I think any FCS team, I probably try to blitz early and often and just kind of rattle my opponent in Oklahoma state what's going to happen is you're probably going to let up some huge explosive plays, but I don't think you can just sit back and try to cover these guys or let them run down your throat. So I would expect some pressure early if I was Greg Stewart. I would think so. It's probably your only chance. I mean, there's no way that they allow Oklahoma States. I mean, I guess there is a way that there totally is a way, but I would not expect that they sit back and allow Oklahoma State's skill talent to go up, up and down the field against a you know soft zone I, I i wouldn't expect that without pressure being attached to it so uh totally yeah. agree with you and i i like logan jessup i mean in in the thread that you provided and in the uh, in the review i did he he might be their best player i mean just yeah probably I totally speaking outside of powell 
I think I have him second best player on the defense, but he he's a close second. He's a really good player. And I'm really excited, Kate. I'm glad you brought him up. I'm ex- the one spot out of this whole game that I'm going to be interested to watch is Logan Jessup, who will be lined up yeah. to the boundary, the weak side, the short side of the field, and David Walker at the bandit spot, who's actually been nominated for player of the year in the FCS. And he was a son defensive player of the year last season. He'll be on the other side, the field side at that bandit spot. Those two guys versus the Oklahoma state offensive tackles. I think I know these are FCS players, but you're talking about a guy who may win FCS player of the year, not just defensive player of the year. So the best player in FCS, I think, to have some comparable skills at the FBS level. Right. And I think it's going to be fun to watch our offensive tackles try to block them. That's a great call. And not something that I had really considered much, especially at that they're both in the front seven. It absolutely should be fun to watch. See how a, you know, Jaden Nixon handles getting a little bit physical with a, you know, de- screaming downhill linebacker. I'd love that. <laughs> yeah. And Walker 6'2, 260, and Jessup is 6'3, 255. So, Similar size, kind of that defensive end linebacker hybrid, but David Walker is getting some NFL looks because he's been clocked at a four six five forty at thirty six inch vertical and can squat six hundred and fifteen pounds. So this dude, I- I'm telling you that David Walker is a guy who could play at the FBS level at probably the Power Five level. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm glad I said might be their best player when I was re- referencing Logan Jessup, because I, I think you're probably <laughs> right. <laughs> Another guy to watch, Jake Golday. He played kind of that defensive end linebacker hybrid spot last year, and now it seems like they've kind of moved him strictly to linebacker 6'4", 235. Outside of that, the linebacker core, Dem- Demetrius Charles is a guy who was a starter last year, but and, you know, they have some of the accolades, all-conference stuff. I thought, I don't know what you thought, but I thought their linebacker core was weak. I yeah, I would right. hate for them to listen to this and use it as bulletin board material, which I know <laughs> is not going to happen. But I, and I'm not trying to trash these guys. They're college football players. They're way more athletic than me. I just, I think they're going to struggle. Yeah. When I watched them, it was not the linebackers that popped. It was, they've got that safety that you mentioned by name, Tamarian Wilson in the in the preview thread and then uh Logan Jessup both of those guys stood out and so not talking about linebackers in in this case and the thing to watch with these linebackers is Oklahoma State's offensive linemen and tight ends pulling or moving off in zone and trying to get to the second level I think they'll be able to do that in this game I don't think these linebackers are that much more athletic than some of our offensive linemen who are solid athletes in Power 5 FBS football, Division One football. So that'll be interesting to watch. And I think they're going to get some hands on these guys and be able to move them around. And that's the, that's, there was two other players I wanted to call out. They get to backfield. Tamarian Wilson, he's, he's a beast. He's 6'2", 205. Not great. Not like the best in coverage, no. but he will come up and hit. I mean, he destroyed some people that played for Old Miss. Like, he will come up and lay somebody out. They move him kind of all around. It seems like he's kind of that rover position for them at safety. And then along with him, TD Williams, I think he was probably their best cover guy, cornerback, 6'1", 185. He 12 passes defended last year. 
outside of that, there's some other names, but no one really popped. And Coach Brown didn't really talk about a lot of the guys that played last year in the interviews I saw, which makes me think that we may see some new faces. So it was kind of hard to get a feel on who's kind of going to be out there besides Williams and Wilson. Well, I, I think what what I'm thinking about tomorrow and Wilson, I have two predictions in this game. One is that Oklahoma State wins handily and they look good doing it. But I think tomorrow and Wilson's going to make a couple of tackles at or near the line or behind the line of scrimmage early on in the game as Oklahoma State's feeling out this new scheme. And it's going to make my section lose their mind that we can't run the ball. I, I just, I promise you it's going to happen. 100%. He's going to be the guy that makes the tackle as well. I, I really like his downfield, uh, or I'm sorry, downhill, I should say, attacking style. Uh, I agree with you, not great in coverage, but I think he's going to make a play uh, and it's going to cause my section to lose their mind. <laughs> I like that call. Kate, I don't have anything else on these guys. We will not probably go that in depth every week on the opponent preview. <laughs> you guys know we like to spend a lot of time reviewing the game and talking about our team, the team that we podcast for. I know it was probably overkill for an FCS opponent. I had a lot of fun. We didn't really have a lot else to talk about as far as football goes. We still have some time to get to a few questions. So I hope you guys enjoyed it, but I had, I had a ton of fun watching these guys. Yeah, I did too. And, you know, Especially, I think this year's a little bit different as you welcome four new schools into the Big 12 and you play all of them. Last year, going over Texas and Texas Tech and Baylor, it's like, yep, yep, that's about what I had remembered. I don't have that this year. I actually don't have much of that at all, considering you've got South Alabama, UCA, six of your 12 scheduled games are new opponents. So uh, definitely look forward to them. And it was a nice appetizer uh, with Central Arkansas and, and what they're able to do. Yeah, I agree. Kate, do you want to get to predictions? I checked at lunch and didn't see a line that normally happens with these FBS, FCS games. The line comes out either there's no line on some sites or it comes out closer to game time. Did I miss one that you saw? Not that I saw. No, I'm usually locked in on that as well, but uh, yeah. I didn't see anything. So we don't. We don't have a line, but I do have a prediction for you, Cade. Do you want to go first or me? Why don't I go so it doesn't seem like I stole it from you? <laughs> Love that. <laughs> I think Oklahoma State's offense is going to look good, not great. I think, it, especially with the opponent, that they're going to hold back as much as humanly possible and try to win this game just based on the sheer physical mismatch that they have. And because of that, I don't think that they're going to light up the scoreboard. I mean, I, I, I would not be surprised to see them leave the game with 34, 38 points. I think they're going to score more than that. So my prediction is 44 to nine. I don't think Central Arkansas, Arkansas scores a touchdown, but I don't think Oklahoma State looks awesome on offense. Did you have to be kidding me? Nope, that's serious. I swear we didn't talk about this before. No, we didn't. I went 48 to 10. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's that might be the close. closest we've ever been. The The way I went about it was similar. Your breakdown was perfect, so I won't recap any of that. But I looked at similar teams, so either FCS or really bad FBS teams and what Oklahoma State had scored right. in like the past nine or ten games. Then I looked at the scores of their opponents. 
I got to kind of an average and then I dropped both of them a little bit because of the running clock. And that's how I got oh. mathematically <laughs> to 48 to 10. Very nice. I didn't even I took factor a little, cut, the running a little clock margin in. off it and dropped yeah. it at 48, 10. I mean, if, if the, if the over under is above 60, it's a lock under. I mean, in a game like this, I think Oklahoma State's going to run the ball a ton. What do you think? I don't know. So the spread in that USC San Jose State game was like 32, I think. Yeah. I mean, it was an easy I cover. This will be less. Don't you think this will be less than that? Even though it's even though it's Central Arkansas, who was five and six last year, Vegas has only given Oklahoma State six and a half wins. I I would be shocked if it was like 35 after seeing that line. I think it's going to be, I mean, I am I am a terrible um, uh, prognosticator, but I do think that it's probably going to be mid-30s, mid to high-30s, kind of for the reasons you and I talked about is because they may score three points. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I could see them getting a touchdown early. The thing about these FCS games, you have to remember – is if the game gets out of hand and they put in their backups, you have to remember that these are backups at an FCS school. So right. the, you know, the mop up trash touchdown doesn't normally happen as much. That's why you see Oklahoma State beat Arkansas Pine Bluff sixty three to seven. You know, 100%. it's it's not the same as South Alabama getting down big early and then you know scoring some late touchdowns or something like that. Which I don't think that's going to happen, but just kind of comparison well, there. I'm glad we were talking about this, Dustin. It's a nice segue, not into gambling, but I did want to say a quick thank you to one of our sponsors of the podcast who's returning for a second season, Prize Picks. I, I know a bunch of our listeners have enjoyed our partnership with them, and especially if you've not done this before, it is a great time. Uh, it's not gambling. It's it's fun. It's I don't have to explain it, Dustin. You you pick a line, and you just play it. It's fun. It's yeah, uh, it's fun. Yeah, they they don't call it over unders, which is fine. You pick two to five, um, over or unders, and play it in a in a uh, in a pair. So it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's really cool what they do there, and you should definitely check it out. It's fun to do. I know Cade, you do it quite often. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> Not to call you out. I think it's cool too. Our promo code uh, feels twelve. If you have not played before, gets you your first deposit matched one hundred percent up to a hundred dollars. So it's a great time, yeah, especially awesome. on opening college You're welcome Saturday. Yeah, you are welcome. We just provide for the people, but yeah. Uh, I'm not the best at it, and and it's been proven based on when I tweeted out what I'm uh, playing because it, it never comes true. Aiden, we have time, I think, for a couple of questions, and thank you for hitting that ad read. I'm going to hit one more for a new sponsor, and there's aside from Charlie Hustle, guys, just to let you know, we'll probably throw these in as not live ad reads every time, so if they sound a little clunky when I'm reading this the first time, I'm not the best reader. Well, my, my, my prize picks one was uh, fluttering in the air <laughs> for quite some time. Well, when it's the first one of football season, you got these new ad reads on here. You gotta, you I, gotta read them live. You gotta I know, introduce I gotta... the sponsor and we appreciate our sponsors. All of them. So this one, we'd like to welcome wild Oak lighting as a new sponsor of the feels like 45 podcast. 
Wild Oak Lighting is your authorized jellyfish lighting dealer for the greater Oklahoma City area, Stillwater, and several other Oklahoma markets. Jellyfish Lighting is a permanent but discreet color-changing LED lighting system for the exterior of your home. With 16 million different colors and patterns, Jellyfish Lighting can be used for Christmas, holiday, and accent lighting, and, of course, Oklahoma State Game Day Lighting. You can learn more about Jellyfish Lighting by checking out the website, wildoak-lighting.com. That's wildoak-lighting.com. Or you can follow them on Facebook or follow them on Instagram, at wildoak underscore lighting. Personally, Cade, I know you know this. We've talked about it before. I have the jellyfish lights installed at my house, and I love them. The team at Wild Oak Lighting was super easy to work with. They installed them. While I was working from home one day, the the installation process was super quick, painless. Not only do I no longer have to worry about climbing up on my roof and almost killing myself to put up or take down my Christmas lights or asking my dad to help me and him almost killing himself, but I can also let my neighborhood know when I'm cheering on the pokes on game day. I would recommend these lights to anyone looking to light up their home for any occasion. They're awesome. They really are awesome. Uh, I've met the guys at Wild Oak Lighting, and I'm glad I held off only because we're moving, and I want to put them in this new house. So I, I got to. You said they on are. The podcast. They are uh, really cool and customizable, and I'm I'm jealous of yours. I, I I really like the way they look. Yeah, they're great. I have them. You know, during baseball season, they're dancing for the Astros. NFL, it's Saints, Oklahoma State. Sometimes maybe a little too much on the sports for my wife's liking, but we use them as the accent lights as well. So it's a lot of fun. I was going to ask you in the off season, what do you do? Do you just go completely dark in honor of the the lack of football? Moment of silence style? Bright yellow, bright red the whole time. <laughs> no, I, I have them as the accent lights right now and I really like them. Yeah, awesome. Love it. Those are really cool uh, lights and, and love what that team does. Thanks, Dustin. Okay, Wait, I, think I think we we've have got one audio. We do. I was just getting it pulled up here. Uh, I think Dustin too that we've we've talked about this, and I think it's a good time to remind that as we get into the football season, we have a ton of questions, and we will always give first right of refusal to the questions that we answer to the audio questions, and so we should say that because there will be questions that get sent on Twitter that. We hope to answer. We can't always guarantee it. Audio is going to come first. So here's one from Garrett Patterson. Hey, Caden Dustin. My name is Garrett. Huge fan out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. After listening to the radio show with Mike Gundy at Rib Crib, I feel like he is using these non-conference games like NFL preseason to vet the portal players and give them a shot. I mean, whether it's 10 or 20 plays or more, is this beneficial in the long run to the program and the only way to see their talent or should Paul camp be their vet process in order to look through at these players and determine who's really going to be the most beneficial in the long run? Thanks. See ya. Garrett. That's a great question, man. And it's an awesome question. It's very sending it in observational too, because it is something that I thought about. Like Mike Gundy doesn't have a actual contractual duty to do what he's doing. So to Garrett's point, I don't know that it makes the most sense in the long run for the program if you stack it up amongst the other options. But the reality is if it prevents guys from transferring, then it does benefit the program in that regard. But 
to what I think Garrett's potentially saying is you could be putting a guy that isn't quite ready on the field at a time that they don't necessarily belong. So I think it's a great question. I would lean towards it's okay, but I get why you ask it. Yeah, it's a fine line to walk, Cade, kind of for what you just laid out. If you're playing a team, so say Arizona State is not rolling out a brand new coach and facing, you know, infractions and bull ban and all that kind of stuff. And they're, you know, a middle of the road power five team, like they've been some seasons. If you're just playing guys to give them a shot in that game and you're taking a guy off the field who is a more talented player just to give the other guy a shot, then then that's probably not the best thing to do. But on the flip side, you're getting some of your guys less snap count, count spreading those around, avoiding injuries in the non-conference. And if the talent in fall camp seemed pretty equal, then other transfer portal guys are going to see this and be like, hey, that guy got a shot. Even though the returning guy was a returning player, he ended up the, the returning guy ended up starting most of the rest of the season. But in the non-con, they gave this guy a shot to prove it. He just wasn't the better player. I kind of want to go there because I know I'm going to get my shot. So you can kind of look at it from both ways. I see positives and negatives to both. I, I think it's just something that Gundy's going to have to manage really well. Yeah, 100%. And as I said when we originally talked about this, I do not envy the the position he's in in no. that in that capacity at all. Great question, Garrett. Appreciate you calling in, man. Yeah, thanks so much. That was an awesome question. All right, Cade, we've got a couple of more Let's do let's do like two or three more. So we got Drew Webster at D underscore Webster 62. Thanks, Drew, for sending this one in. He says, hey, guys, big fan of the pod. Thanks, Drew. Asked a similar question last year. What three players on each side of the ball do you see as the best NFL prospects 2024 and beyond? Cade? Okay, I will go. Can I go offense first? That's the best way I think we break this up. I think two of them are wide receivers. And I think the third one is probably, man, I, is Jason Brooks probably on that list at right guard? <laughs> I love it. That's who I was going to say. Yeah. I had I had Brooks, Bray, and Stribling down for that's now. Literally, that's literally my list. And, and there's other guys, and we're probably forgetting some guys. I was just trying to think of guys this season who I think are going to play enough to, for us to say that at the end of the year. Yeah, I, you know, I Ollie think, Gordon. Yep. There's other guys out there. Even a Dalton Cooper, maybe if he gets some run. Cole Birmingham, if he recovers from that knee injury, you know, there's a lot of guys. Totally agree with you. If I had to pick three, it's Brooks, Bray, and Stribling, and I think it might be in that order for me. On defense, it's a little bit easier, I think. And there's a lot of guys, but if you're going <laughs> to make me pick three. Yeah, I'm going Kendall Daniels, Colin Oliver, Justin Kirkland. I think so, right? That's And that's that I-35 highway we've been talking about, north and south, straight up those three uh, individual position groups. I mean, it is that easy. I, Dark Horse, would you go with a guy like Trey Rucker, who I, I think is going to have a great year? Rucker, Rawls, I, I love the safeties. You know, Corey Black, I feel like we don't talk about him enough on here. And I know at times last year, you and I saw some things we didn't like, but he's a really talented player. Nathan Latou, I, I think he's a little bit of a tweener in size, but man, he's yeah. looked good at times. And he's huge, I'll, I'll, like I'll, muscles-wise. 100%. I'll double down, and I'll say Gabe Brown. <laughs> 
<laughs> I haven't hey, seen it with my it. own eyes. But Owen Ray. the way things are trending, I feel like I'm going to look up in two years and my two years ago prediction about Gabe Brown is going to look really good. So I'm just going to double down on that. Well, we'll delete it. We'll delete it. Oh, if it looks really yeah, good. Yeah, no. This, <laughs> and I mean, shoot, I don't even know how long our hosting keeps these things on. So it may not even be there. <laughs> oh, that's a great question, Drew. Thanks for that one. Another one, I tried to grab some from people who hadn't asked in a few weeks. So sorry if I, I didn't grab some of the people that asked first. Royal John OSU at Wasted Optimism. That's our guy, Royal John. He said, first offensive play of the game, he gives us multiple choice. Zone scheme run, gap scheme run, any sort of pass. I We've talked about it, right? I think I think they do something to tip the hat to the fans who've been calling for a gap scheme run all offseason. GT counter. It has to be. Has to be. Or, G, or GH. I'm going to go GH. GH? Tight end. Pulling the tight end. Pulling Jason Brooks. And Ollie Gordon taking the handoff. And who's the tight end in that set? Josiah Johnson? I'm going to go... I'm going to go Cassidy lined up at the Probably. H-back. Yeah, I think so. Pretty good. That's my call. That's very specific, Kate. It is Probably very specific. going to happen. I think, I, I think it's going to be that, though. I think it'll be a hat tip. Uh, next, we'll go with Randall Dryden at Randy D. That's me, our guy Randy, former guest host of the pod who did That's an awesome right. job. Who's, another, another very specific prediction. Who scores the first TD and how? Kate, I'll take this one first. Okay. Jaden Bray, fade ball, back right corner of the end zone from Alan Bowman. How, how far is that pass? Red zone, are we talking 25 yards? How- I'm going to say like the 12-yard line. I do I do like that. I, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with an individual effort play on this one. I think I might take a Jaden Nixon 23 yard touchdown run. Something kind of off left guard in between left guard and left tackle, just kind of a broken thing, and it's a walk-in touchdown. I like that. All right, we'll do one more. And guys, I know I know we got like I think 11 or 12. Sorry, we're only hitting like four. But <laughs> gotta do what we really appreciate do. it. Really appreciate you guys sending these in. We're going to try to hit a few every episode in football. And then obviously in the offseason, we'll probably hit all of them. John Jester at Jest on a Quest. What are your top two to three OSU sicko things you'll be watching for on Saturday? Mine will be which O lineman will pull the best in the new gap scheme. Oh, uh, mine's going to be how... I I might go with Dustin. It's two. I think I'm going to be looking to see how the kicking looks with Alex Hale stepping back in. And if Oklahoma State, for whatever reason, has to kick a 45-plus yarder, uh, I'm going to be watching for what that looks like. And then my last one has to do with the height of the snap. <laughs> I'm going to be looking at the snap a I lot love- if they go in eye. I'm going to be looking at the quarterback center exchange a whole lot. And if they go from eye to shotgun back to eye to shotgun, I want to see the consistency of that snap. Man, the quarterback center exchange is something we have not talked about a lot on here and something that we know Alan Bowman did in practice a lot at Michigan, but hasn't done in the game. And Garrett Rangel has barely done it along with Gunnar Gundy. Didn't do it at all in high school. That is a great call out by you. you. Thank you. You are very I, smart. And I'm good for one every quarter. So uh, we use that one up. But 
I wish I would have asked Adam about that last week because I think that I mean th- this could totally be a you know a, a worry type of thing, but I could see that that changing in in you know going from eye to shotgun and back and forth. I could see that being challenging on a center that hasn't done that a whole lot, but you know that it's probably. If it's the last thing that you and I are thinking about, it's probably the first thing that Mike Gundy's thinking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I wrote down how much rotation there is on the defensive line and how they cover the slot receiver because, you know, Ooh. that strike position kind of followed him around. I think we'll see some different guys, field corner, boundary corner, rover. Maybe even you see Colin Oliver split out there a little bit on him. Yeah. Like we saw uh, Xavier Benson at times last year when the slot was into the boundary. So we'll we'll kind of see there, but I, I love that question, John. Thanks for sending that one in. And I think that's all the time we have. Yeah, I it, it's gotta be, unless you want us to go two and a half hours on this one. I think <laughs> I think we can pause it right here. Cause Dustin, I really could do this. I I just I'm reminded of how much I love this time of year and doing this podcast because it's just, man, I, I breaking down actual games is, uh, is a ton of fun. And it's why we originally started doing this thing. So, uh, excited for another football season with you, man, uh, name your third quarter meal. That would be my last question to you, Dustin. Ooh, I'm probably going to go get a Freddy's burger. Yeah. Chick-fil-A sandwich. That that's my third quarter go-to, and I'm looking very forward to it uh, on Saturday. It's going to be hotter than you can imagine. First game. Oh yeah, she going? Yeah, this will be her first game to go to. So since my parents got those extra seats, we got a little bit more room now. Oh, that's awesome. I am not taking my kids, and therefore my wife will not be there. So my brother is actually coming down, and he'll be joining us. Uh, but no, no kids on this one. That was that was the intention, but uh, that has fallen apart. So anyway, Dustin, I look if forward to hearing how that goes. If you see us at the game and recognize us from our Twitter or Instagram pictures, if you follow us on there, um, say, hey, we're always down. We can have a beer or something like that. And thanks so much to all our new sponsors. We appreciate you guys. We love you guys. Yeah, 100%. If you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at feelslike45pod. You can follow Dustin at Dustragu, and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. Hopefully, we see some of you in Stillwater on Saturday night. We'll see you next week. Go Pokes.